Well, uh, let me start with a story. Um, I, my wife and I were the same age, and so a couple of years ago, when we turned 40, um, we decided to take a trip to Africa to celebrate. Uh, it had always been on my bucket list, and uh, so we, we went. Uh, I was teaching a little course in Rwanda for a couple of weeks, uh, but then afterwards we met together and we went to Tanzania, to the Serengeti for a safari. Um, it was awesome. Uh, and there were all sorts of highlights in this Serengeti safari, but um, uh, one of the moments that sticks with me, we'd, we'd been in the car all day long, we'd been chasing the, the wildebeest migration. Uh, who's been, by the way? It's, it's incredible. And uh, we, we'd seen the hippo pools, and we had, uh, we'd seen this cheetah dragging a kill up the tree, and that was pretty exciting. <laughs> Ronnie's looking horrified. <laughs> and at the end of the day, we turn up this kind of valley road, and it's much thicker with woods than everywhere else, and we drive up this pathway, and there's more, almost more elephants, uh, and more animals than we'd seen all day long. There's elephants, there's giraffe, there's buffalo, and, um, and then all of a sudden, there is our camp in the middle of this uh, valley. There's no fences, just tents, and um, there's tents and Maasai warriors standing outside on guard with spears. And we arrive, and, uh, and they say, this is your tent. There's actually a giraffe leaning into a tree right behind our tent. Um, he's eating leaves. And they give us a walkie-talkie, and they say, when you want to get dinner, make sure you call us first. Uh, you know why, don't you, Tom? Because they said, because there's lions just over the back there, and there's no fences, and we don't want you to get eaten. Uh, one of the best experiences of my life, something I'd always dreamed about. And, and to top it off, we're in this camp in the middle of nowhere. It's this, I don't know where they even get these luxury, um, uh, luxury furniture and things like that, but the food was incredible. And so we have this incredible wilderness experience with this meal that is unforgettable. And in our Bible passage today, there's a wilderness experience with a meal that is unforgettable. Um, so why don't we pray that God would speak to us now as uh, we open his word and we hear about this amazing meal. Heavenly Father, as we look at this very familiar story today, please reveal to us hidden treasures and deep understanding of who Jesus is. Speak to us now, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, we are in the middle of our sermon series from Matthew 13 to 16, a little series we're calling Hidden Treasures, because it's all about going beyond the surface look at Jesus and getting deeper to understand who he is and who he was and who he is and, and what it means for us to know Jesus. And so every story that we read is a bit like a puzzle piece and it reveals more and more of the picture of who Jesus is. Uh, so that's the plan today. We're going to look at a very familiar story and try to get under the surface a little bit. Um, today's story is probably one of the best known miracles uh, that Jesus ever did. It's the only one that's recorded in all four Gospels, um, except for the resurrection. Uh, it is the feeding of the 5,000. And so in this story so far, um, Jesus um, has been teaching, he's been healing, he's been doing miracles, and great crowds have been following him. And they've seen the power of God in action. But not everybody loved Jesus. And so um, our passage, the bit that we're not going to read today, it starts with Jesus receiving very disturbing news. Um, his cousin, John the Baptist, had been executed um, by the local governor, um, Herod. Um, he'd been beheaded at, the, at a dinner party. So in the middle of a dinner party, somebody had asked for John the Baptist's head on a platter. And it's this grotesque image on its own. 
But it's worse for Jesus because Jesus knows that his cousin has been killed because of his association with himself. Jesus is associated with, sorry, John the Baptist is associated with Jesus' teaching and that is the reason that he's been killed. And so in Matthew 14 where our story starts, Jesus tries to get away. He tries to go to a solitary place. Perhaps he's hoping to pray, to, to reconnect with his father, to process his loss. Probably wants to spend some time with his disciples. He, he probably wants just to have a little rest. But Jesus never got the alone time that he was looking for because the crowds, they saw Jesus get on this boat. And as the boat headed north, the crowd headed north. And as the boat turned west, the crowd met them. So that when Jesus arrived on the land, there was already a great big crowd there. And they gathered. Imagining my reaction if this was me in the boat. Well, Jesus, it tells us um, in our passage. By the way, the passage is on the back of your handouts if you want to follow along. Uh, it's Matthew chapter 14. In verse 14, right, Jesus, he looks at this crowd. He looks out at this crowd with all of their needs and all of their sickness and all of their desire and all of their brokenness. And his heart goes out to them. Uh, it says in verse 14 that he had compassion on them. Uh, the original language, um, that word for compassion, it means he had this visceral reaction, this gut reaction. Jesus feels something deep down inside for the people who've come to meet him. Interesting for us today. Jesus feels something for you. Um, Jesus is exhausted. He's probably emotionally spent. But his gut reaction to this crowd is to do what he can do to mend their brokenness. Verse 14 when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. So this is the first big idea I want you to take away from the passage today, this feeding of the 500, because we learn something about the character of Jesus. Jesus is full of compassion. Uh, it's not the first time Matthew had said this about Jesus. Back in chapter 9, um, he said this, you just have to listen. But back in chapter 9, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Um, as a man, uh, Jesus is shown to be loving and compassionate. He's this loving and compassionate man. He puts his own needs to the side and he ministers to those around him first. Um, Jesus is the opposite of selfish. He deliberately focuses on others even when he needs to have a rest himself. At the expense of himself, he serves others. And if Jesus was just a man, well, that would be a really admirable character trait, wouldn't it? Um, we, might say, um, we might say, you know, he's, he's a godly man. But when we hear the word compassion, and, um, and especially when Matthew repeats it this way in key phrases, it actually points to this a deeper clue pointing to the identity of Jesus and the source of his compassion. Because when we hear the word compassion, I think we're meant to be taken back to the Old Testament, um, to the time in Exodus 34, 6, when God reveals himself to Moses. Um, Exodus, right? We've just heard uh, Brandon just shared a little bit of the book of Exodus when God's people walk through the Red Sea on dry land. It's this book where God rescues his people from slavery, uh, right at the beginning of the Old Testament. And God is present with his people in these dramatic and visible ways. He turns up in a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud and then he uh, fights their battles and then he makes the Red Sea waters part so that the people can walk through on dry land. God is 
incredible. He's so present and he's so strong. He does amazing things amongst his people and yet when they find themselves in the desert, when they find themselves in a wilderness place, they start to wonder if God is going to come through for them. They have a short memory, don't they? They start to doubt God's goodness. And Moses, the leader of God's people, he starts to doubt that the people are going to follow him. And so he asks God, he says, God, do something so that I can tell the people who you are. Do something to show yourself. So God shows himself to Moses. Well, he didn't show all of himself because in Exodus 33, it says, nobody can see God's face and live. Um, Reminds me of Indiana Jones. Uh, in the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, remember when they open the ark and everybody's faces melt off because they see God? That's not in the Bible, but that's what I imagine it. the reason is. And so God tells Moses, he says, go to a cleft in the rock. Go and hide yourself in there. And I'm going to cause all of my goodness to pass by you. And then afterwards you can look. And now every time God shows up in the Old Testament, there's these shiny bright lights, a shining brightness, glory. This is what it says in Exodus 34. God passed in front of Moses proclaiming, and this is what he proclaimed his name, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is Exodus 34, 6. God is compassionate. At the heart of God's character is this deep and abiding compassion, a visceral instinct that God has where he longs to heal our wounds. He longs to care for us. He longs to love us. He longs to gather us as his children and and fix what is wrong with us. God has a character that is slow to anger and he's full of love. He's abounding in grace. And I think that's why Matthew uses the same word to describe Jesus. He's trying to tell us what he himself has learned about the secret identity of Jesus. See, Matthew reveals that Jesus shares the same identity as God. Somebody can press the button for me. Um, Matthew's revealing that Jesus shares the same character as the Lord, the same compassion that's at the very heart of God's identity. Look at that. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the first big idea from our passage, right? Jesus shares the same character as God. And I don't think that would be that remarkable on its own. Uh, We could just say that Jesus was a good person uh, and a devout student of God's ways. But the second idea from our passage is this, that Jesus not only shares the same character as God, he shares the same actions as God. And those actions reveal more about his identity. So let's read the next part of the story. You can follow along on your handouts. As evening approached, The disciples came to Jesus and they said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And the disciples say, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus says, bring them here to me. And he directs the people to sit down on the grass And in taking the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves and then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those people who ate 
was about 5,000 men besides women and children. It's Matthew 14, 15 to 21. So this is this very large crowd, uh, 5,000 men, uh, it says in verse 21, and that doesn't count women and children. That means there's probably 15 to 20,000 people there, what I'm expecting for my newcomer's lunch next week. (laughs) And of course the disciples didn't have food for that many. But Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish and somehow there's enough for everybody to eat until they're all full and satisfied and, and there are even leftovers and 12 baskets. I'm guessing it's one, of, one basket for each of the disciples just so they could take home something to remember. Jesus can provide. Now if you ever went to Sunday school, I'm, I'm sure that you learned this story. Um, does anybody remember this one from Sunday school? Um, what, is the, what is the lesson that we learn? Jesus can do amazing things. Jesus saves the day. Well, those are true. But this miracle reveals something deeper than merely Jesus' ability to feed a crowd. And to help us, we're going to go back to the Old Testament again. You might have worked it out. I love the Old Testament because it teaches us who Jesus is. And the Old Testament has a bunch of times where God fed people in miraculous ways. Uh, The prophet Elijah, um, he had this time in the desert when he was fed by ravens. They brought him food. Uh, And God had told the ravens to do that. In the same chapter, um, God feeds Elijah and a widow and her son with just a little bit of flour. This this widow thinks she's going to die. She has just a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil left. And somehow God makes it so that no matter how many times they make bread, the jar never runs out. And then there's the prophet Elisha. A couple of chapters later, um, there's another miracle with oil that doesn't run out. And then Elisha feeds a hundred men with 20 little loaves. And there's leftovers. It's all echoes, isn't it, in the Old Testament. God has a history of feeding his people in miraculous ways. But there's a clue in Matthew's story that points to perhaps the greatest feeding miracle of all in the Old Testament, and it's this. Uh, Matthew carefully describes this place as a solitary place or a remote place. Um, In the original uh, language, they both mean in the wilderness or in the desert. And Matthew wants us to think of God's people in the wilderness when Moses and the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years after the Exodus. And throughout that time, how did God feed his people? Do you remember? He sent manna. He sent bread from heaven that fell every night. And they collected it in the morning. And there was always enough. Just enough. And so here, back in Matthew, we've got Jesus in the wilderness. He's looking up to heaven. He's breaking bread. And there's enough for everybody. Jesus has been painted as a new Moses. He's providing for God's people just as God had done through Moses so long ago. And and so some people thought of Jesus like a new Moses or a new Elijah or a new prophet. But there's a difference between Jesus and all of those other prophets. Um, And that's the hidden treasure in this story, I think. See, all those other prophets, uh, they provided bread. But listen to what Jesus says about himself in John's Gospel after he did this miracle. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life and whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. See, other prophets provided bread, but Jesus, well, he is the bread. Jesus himself is the way that God nourishes his people. Jesus provides and sustains and and feeds people in and of himself. It's it's kind of a profound mystery, right? And in the book of Colossians, it says that Jesus was there sustaining the world when God created it. 
And so this, this feeding, this nourishing that Jesus does, is not just a physical way, but he nourishes us in a way that means our deepest hungers and thirsts will be satisfied in him. It's an intriguing idea. And um, for some of the people listening to Jesus on that day, it was a step too far. Uh, because Jesus talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And like half the crowd leaves because they just said, this is too hard. We can't do that. Uh, Jesus was speaking symbolically. And it's a symbol that we still share today. Um, in a little while, at the end of the service, we're going to share communion together. We're going to take communion uh, where we eat bread and we drink wine in remembrance of the way that Jesus' body was broken for us and his blood was poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins. Um, but that all comes back to this idea that Jesus is the bread of life. And that by feeding on him and by believing in him and by trusting in his sacrifice on the cross on our behalf, we're, we're nourished spiritually. We're filled up with the promises that God makes for us, the promises of God's love and his provision and, and his grace and his mercy to forgive our sins. Uh, and just like the best meals around the family table, this symbolic meal reminds you that you belong. It reminds you that you're home. It reminds you that you are loved. So I hope you'll come to Jesus' table today as we go. Uh, he loved to eat with all kinds of people, not just those who had their lives together. Um, in fact, he, he loved to eat with people who needed healing. It was one of his specialties. Because Jesus is compassionate. He's compassionate and he heals our wounds and he fills the void that so many of us try to fill up with other things, all kinds of substances, alcohol, medication, sex, spending, whatever your drug of choice is. Jesus knows what you need and he wants you to come to him and be satisfied. Come to him and your deepest needs will be filled. And that brings us to the last idea from the passage today which is this, Jesus teaches us a lesson about how God provides for his people. I want to come back to what Jesus said to the disciples back in verse 15, um, when they suggested sending the crowd away. Um, the disciples said, send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replies, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat, verses 15 and 16. It's a curious statement, isn't it? Um, it's obvious that the disciples can't feed a crowd this large. Uh, in Mark's account, the disciples say it would cost like half a year's wage to feed everybody. And they didn't even have that much money with them, I'm sure. So why does Jesus say, you give them something to eat? Well, I think Jesus wants them to learn this kingdom principle, which is that God can take even the smallest of gifts and he can multiply it so that its impact is increased. Um, think of the loaves and the fishes, right? The disciples look at this pitiful amount of food and the, the, the enormous crowd. It could never be enough, they think. But Jesus takes what the disciples have and he multiplies it so that everybody can be fed. And you know what? Afterwards, Jesus does the same thing with the disciples himself, uh, themselves. Um, do you remember at the start of this story, Jesus was exhausted. He was tired he needed some alone time to process the death of his cousin, but the crowds followed him and he never got his time off. He never got his rest. Jesus' impact in the world was limited in a way by the fact that there was just one of him. And so he taught for three years and he did all these miracles, but all of that work was really confined to the geographical limitations of one small country. 
But when Jesus died and when he rose to heaven, the disciples took the gospel out into all the directions, all the different directions on earth. And that's when the church started multiplying, isn't it? Jesus takes this ragtag group of 12 men, fishermen, there's a tax collector, there's Jesus' little brother. He takes them all and he sends those people out and all of a sudden the church is born. And those first disciples, well, they made disciples. And those disciples made more disciples. This is, I want to say it's the miracle of compound interest. Um, And I've forgotten the word I'm thinking of, exponential growth, isn't it? It's exponential growth. And the impact of that one man, Jesus, means that now, as all those disciples have gone out, there are now two and a half billion Christians in the world. Can you believe it? You might have looked at Jesus and said, what impact is that guy going to have? Well, 2,000 years later and two and a half billion people later, and who knows how many Christians along the way who are already in glory. See, God can take the smallest of gifts and he can multiply it so that its impact is increased. You might look at the gifts that God has given you today and you think, what can I do to help? It's just, just little old me. What can I do? What, what impact can I make? What, what I have to offer is pitiful in light of all of the needs that are out there in the world. Jesus taught us to be compassionate, didn't he? And Jesus taught us to take what little we have and to use it. Jesus says he can do amazing things when we surrender whatever we have in his service. And so your little gift, it might be that you can pray. Pray for this church. Pray for the valley. Pray for our nation. Pray for the world. Pray for Jesus' glory and pray for his kingdom to come. If that's all you've got, pray it up, please. Uh, It might be giving financially. Uh, I read something this week uh, about churches. It said there's there's a huge number of churches in America, thousands and thousands and thousands. And it said if every church started to give just a couple of dollars a week to this big project, we'd have something like a billion dollars at the end of a year just coming out of American churches at the cost of two to three dollars per church per week. It's, it's worth a billion dollars. It's crazy. Two to three dollars, every one of us could do that. Imagine the billions of dollars we could release to help the world. It might be serving in church. Uh, you might, uh, we've got all sorts of needs here in this church uh, as we serve together. There's all sorts of things we want to do. We're limited by the number of people can help. So please use the little gift you have to serve us. Ask me what, what we need and we can use you. Perhaps it's using your gifts to serve in the community, to make a difference here in Yonville or in Napa or in, in St. Helena. Please do it. These are all ways that God uses each of us to impact the world for Christ. But it all starts with believing that God can do what is impossible for us to do on our own. He can make things happen that we could never imagine. I'm going to pray about that now. Heavenly Father, this miracle reminds us that you can do more than we could ever imagine or believe. That you are powerful beyond our wildest imagination. Father, take us and use us so that your son is glorified. Take us and use us to take the gospel out. Father, give us faith to trust you when we're in the wilderness and we seem to have nowhere to go. We know that you will provide. Father, we pray that you would provide for us today. Give us your Holy Spirit. Give us your grace. Remind us of your forgiveness. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.